The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very warm welcome, everybody. This is Squawk Box in the headlines. Trade deal uncertainty hangs over global markets. CNBC learns the signing of a U.S.-China phase one deal may now be pushed into December. The looming snap election casts a shadow over the Bank of England, which is expected to keep rates on hold as Prime Minister Boris Johnson's campaign launches shrouded in controversy. Elsewhere, Tiffany has reportedly asked Louis Vuitton owner LVMH to sweeten its takeover bid, claiming the $14.5 billion offer significantly undervalues the US jeweler. And earnings season continues with a focus today on German corporates. We're going to hear from the CEOs of Siemens, Sat 1 and Munich Re coming up. This is really interesting. And thank goodness, as I just mentioned in the headlines, we're going to be speaking to Joe Kayser, the CEO of Siemens, in a few moments' time, one of the most important businessmen on the continent. Make no bones about it. This is a, a stunningly important company, and he's an important man in many ways as well. But this is interesting. The Siemens CEO has already said the company has achieved 2019 full-year guidance in all aspects in all aspects, and yet in the flash next to it, it says the weakening of the global economy accelerated during the year. So despite everything we're hearing about stability uh, at lower levels on the European or perhaps the US economy as well, you've got Joe Kayser here, one of the most important businessmen, a man who I presume has the ear uh, of Angela Merkel as well, saying that we saw an acceleration of the weakening of the picture as well. The numbers themselves actually look very respectable. And reports of fourth quarter orders, 24.7 billion euros versus 22.93 expected. Uh, fourth quarter revenue. Uh, that's very similar figure, actually. Again, a beat there. Operating profit, 2.64 billion euros. Uh, again, a beat on the industrial operating profit in the fourth quarter. Net income, again, a beat. So beat, beat, beat is what I'm seeing from Siemens here. But that line from Joe Kayser about an acceleration of the weakening, I think that's very interesting. He says that the digital industries reports 2% drop in fourth quarter orders, a growth in software offset by a decline in machinery. I'll give you one, give you two more flashes. Uh, expects macroeconomic development to remain subdued in 2020, citing geopolitical and economic risks and adding a moderate decline in market volume for short cycle businesses is what is expected. I would suggest this is a, a, a tale of currently everything's been going. It's, they've had a good set of numbers here. But looking forward, it's as opaque as it could be. Um, should we just have a quick look? At, yeah. We're going to catch up with Joe Kayser, so we'll do that conversation very shortly. I just want to focus uh, for a moment on the Commerce Bank numbers here. Uh, Martin Turkey's had a, a few issues with some of the top shareholders who've been raising questions recently as to whether his turnaround programme is aggressive enough at this point. Um, Cerberus, one of those that has been quoted in recent copy, is suggesting they need to cut costs more aggressively and focus harder on profitability. Just on that cost reduction side, um, cost down to 1.62 billion in the third quarter. But that's 
more or less flat on the uh, third quarter 2018 number here. In terms of the overall operating costs, though, um, they are somewhat below the third quarter 2018 number, trimmed to 1.5 billion for the third quarter. A few other encouraging lines in here, I have to say. Um, Net interest income up by 2.7%. The bank says that uh, a consequence of 2% growth year on year in uh, group revenue to 2.1 billion. The uh, read across from the year before, again, pretty much flat from the 2.14 billion they achieved in 2018. Common tier one equity ratio, 12.8%, comfortable in in capital terms. The um, group giving us a net return on tangible equity um, at 4.4%. And therein lies the rub here that these banks in Europe need to be double digit, at least it seems to me at the moment, as we look at their prospects going forward. Um, line from the bank, uh, further growth in customers and assets, uh, a net 141,000 new private customers gained in Germany. Loan and securities volume uh, also up uh, by 4 billion euros at this point. The group says that the net profit line at 294 million improved year on year. The third quarter 2018 was 218 million. But again, very modest in what should be an improving environment. Uh, Well, very interesting you say that. Should be an improving environment. We've had years of reorganising this sector. We've had years to reorganise this sector in Europe. But have we squandered that opportunity? Have we squandered those stunningly low interest rates, negative rates, the bulwark from the ECB to go forth and spend on these teltros and what have you? Because I tell you, that stock that you just mentioned, Comets Bank, guess what it's done this year? As the rest of the DAX has rallied, as the rest of the DAX has reset, even Siemens I just mentioned, up 11%, despite the fact that Joe Kayser just said things can potentially get worse on opacity going forward and things are being completely challenged. You've got Comets Bank, which has enjoyed the rally. Not at all. Not at all. And yet I'll compare that to Unicredit. Same kind of situation, same continent, same customers across the continent. And even Unicredit, which is dealing with Italy and Italian politics and Italian bad loans and Italian zombies, actually has done incredibly well. Look at that performance over the last three months. So I can compare Comets Bank to Unicredit. Don't get me wrong, Unicredit's not out of the woods. It's not the most um, paragon of virtue when it comes to their price to book. They're a 0.45. They're still low. But what do you think the price to book on Comets Bank is? 0.25. Ladies and gentlemen, what am I saying to you? I'm not just talking about some weird accounting term. I'm telling you the market is saying, we believe that the book value is actually worth a quarter of what the bank does. That's pretty much what we're saying when we say a price to book as well. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I'll just give you those only credit numbers. We can do the compare and contrast continued. Again, they look, they look all right. They look all right. Net profit, 1.1 billion versus 1.01 billion average consensus, to be fair, provided by the company as well. The CET1 ratio, i.e. your capital buffers, 12.6%. That's gone in the right direction as well. Gross non-performing exposure ratio. I can't believe we still have to worry about this after all this time. Well, it's 5.7% as opposed to 7%. Again, everything there to me looks like it's moving in the right direction. Uh, uh, and even this one, I was going to say, is a down figure here, but I quite like this down figure. BTP portfolio, 44.9 billion euros. That is down 3.6 billion uh, quarter on quarter. 
lessening their exposure to very highly priced Italian paper doesn't seem the most unsensible thing in the world. Uh, no, absolutely. I don't disagree with you. And, and it feels like we're stuck in a parallel universe where we're discussing European bank earnings all over again and making pretty much the same points here about still not sufficiently strong to impress the markets into believing that we are now in a, a recovery phase, a real renaissance period for European yeah. banks. I think you're right. But I also think that the my, my point I was trying to make as well is that there are enormous divergences in a how we value mm. these financial institutions and indeed their performance. I mean, the, the market has got a... I mean, we're in the States. You, most of your banks in the States, to be honest, by now, are trading either 0 0.8, 0 0.9 yeah. price to book to nearly getting to knocking on the door at two because yeah. they've done what they think they need to have done. Yeah. To be fair, in Europe, you can go down as low as, I guess, Commerce Bank's as low as it gets, 0.25, and then you get up to a few that are above one, you know, the very highly capitalised Scandinavian banks, what have you. But even they've had their own problems with money laundering, what have you. Yes. So, so you're talking about a much lower basis for the European banks to begin with. Now, is that because the European economy is slower, yeah. or is that because the self-help hasn't happened? Yeah. This poor I, desk is getting it today. I know, I, but I'll refer back to my earlier point that, as you say, a much lower base yeah. broadly for these bank valuations. They are like a group of wildebeest running from the lion, but they are all clustered together. There are just some at the back and some at the yeah, front, right. but ultimately they are the still under the pressure. The young the old at the back. Don't you just hate those, those whole National um, Geographic videos? They're oh. awful, awful. awful. Let's, move, let's move on to... I mean, they um, cross with the alligators, the crocodiles as well, the hedge funds. To, uh, Lufthansa. Let's talk about the airline. <laughs> sector here for a minute. Um, third quarter revenues up by 2%, 10.2 billion euros. Um, EBIT down 8% to 1.3 billion euros. EBIT margin 12.7%. Uh, it was 14.1% um, in the year ago period. Uh, net result up 4% at 1.2 billion. Confirming guidance, Eurowings should be back to profitability by 2021 they say, network airlines to grow only moderately in the 1919-20 winter timetable period. Um, continued strong business on the North Atlantic routes, which will be some encouragement. But obviously, um, net profit is up here, which is something to be positive about for this sector. And a little bit of assistance on the year-over-year -year story, obviously, because we've seen fuel costs come down here. A lot of it's uh, around the way the airline's hedged anyway. But um, an encouraging picture, I would say, in terms of the, uh, the message coming out of uh, Lufthansa. The um, analysts were looking for 10.01 billion. 10.18 billion is what was delivered. Um, that will pretty much... Uh, what, what? You're smiling. Well, yeah, because you heard the phrase head in the clouds. Head in the clouds. Well, is, is that their outlook from Lufthansa? Mm. I, yeah, we should get back to profitability on Eurowings by 2021. Have they seen their biggest variance of cost, by the way? They're two things. One, labour, and I'd yeah. love to see a, a two-year outlook on labour from a lot of the unions as well, how they feel about those costs. And the second is the energy price as well. Mm. Yeah, if the energy price stays in the low 50s and what have you, and then the, the knock-on for aviation fuel, sure. But if we get a $70, $80 again and it stays there for a sustainable period of time and they've got a hedge at the high levels, I'd like to have a look at that outlook again. Maybe the head will come out of the clouds. <laughs> well, yeah, very difficult, as we know. Uh, and, and again, a refocus on the German economy where we know that there is some 
key part of that economy at the moment that is just not firing on all cylinders. And I use that particular phrase um, sure. very precisely. Coming up on the programme then, deal interrupted. A senior administration official tells CNBC a phase one China trade deal could be delayed as the two sides wrangle over where to sign the potential pact. CNBC's exclusive invitation-only retreat returns to Mansha, Guangzhou, China in 2019. We explore all things tech from artificial intelligence to 5G. Join the world's most prolific investors, inventors and entrepreneurs as they share their stories and celebrate innovation. Visit EastTechWest.com for an application to attend. I'm going to rush this wall because I want to talk to Jeff. and He's my mate, so I want to talk to him about this. Um, look, look at that. Look, yeah, they'll say, oh, the Nasdaq was down. It broke its winning streak. Oh, the Dow was down. It broke. They were flat, all right? Don't, don't believe all that. It went up and down. But it was a flat, really heavy rotation. Do you remember early in the week? Um, we were talking about Chevron going up. We were talking about the energy price going up as well. Well, WTI and Brent had a, a stunning reversal yesterday, albeit part of the trading rotation, I believe. And hence, energy was the laggard in the moves of the stocks as well. I'm going to show you quickly the Asian indices as well, because there is a point I want to make about the US session, which I thought was fascinating. And fun enough, my old chum Cutmore did as well. So we'll get back to that now. Hang Sang down three tenths of one percent opening calls for european markets they look like this so again fairly flat ne- negative bias on the FTSE mib FTSE 100 is up now because you and i like to go into the weeds it's very interesting when we go through the same weeds inadvertently as well and the weeds that you and i went through separately was yes. about productivity and yes, labor costs yes and it was you and i are always looking for signals <clears throat> of earnings recessions mm. or things that could tip the scale on mm. interest rates and we both saw the same signal in these labor cost figures that we saw yesterday and i'll just give the the, the broad brush of numbers to people as well um, we saw the pickup in hourly uh, sharp acceleration in compensation per hour this is the thing i really wanted to drill into to 4.5 percent rise in the past year mm. 4.5% rise in the past year compared with the 2.8% average over the previous five years. Jim O'Sullivan giving me some colour on that from High Frequency Economics, so thank you for that. I think that's staggering. I think if you're looking, we've had a load of time looking at payroll, we've had a load of time looking at CPI, we've had a load of time looking at, I don't know, industrial production and PMIs. But if you've got real proven labour over the last year going up 4.5%, their costs per hour for companies in the States, compared with the previous five-year average of 2.8%. I think that's a really big, interesting signal. And I think you need to dig even further into that and then separate out in what areas of labour skilling is the highest increase in salary taking place. And the reality is if you break down the quartiles, you'll find that at the bottom end still, there is very little in terms of wage growth because there is available migrant labor in the United States that is taking jobs without significant pay increases. And a lot of that is around the gig economy, of course, where people are just doing two or three jobs to keep ends 
together, you know, to make ends meet. If you move up the um, qualification scale, if you like, and, and look at some of those white collar jobs, the salary increases are, are even faster. And that gets lost a little bit in the numbers. But I think it's worth making that point because that's where you'll start to see the real crimp in margin and profitability at companies as we get those earnings numbers coming through. And nobody is pricing this in. That's what matters when you look at where interest rates because are. Because that would hold the, the hand of the central banks and, and prevent them from doing what Absolutely. the market loves, which is giving them easy and free money. Absolutely. And the, the problem is that we look at, we look at um, uh, non-financial sector corporate debt at this point, and it is enormous. And we look at potential risks in the financial plumbing at the moment. And one of those risks has to be the re-emergence of inflation. But nobody is pricing it well, in right this now. This is interesting because it's under... Can you see it there? Under, you know that dusty old thing with the old... You know, you get the old shoes from your colleagues who are opposite. I can see it under there. It's dusty, but it's... Is it a curve? It, it's a, it's curve-like. It's... Yeah. Phil... <laughs> blow, blow Phillips? The dust off. I think it says Phillips curve. Yeah. Oh, my God. It, it doesn't work it, anymore, does it? I don't know. Should Isn't we pull it out? Should we pull out? the Phillips curve out? Is it back? <laughs> I think, I I'm know. not sure it's back quite yet, but no. clearly there is something to take note of. I'll kick of it back under your numbers. side of the desk then. Thank you. Amazing what you find on we'll the desk, it, 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 There's all sorts of rubbish under here. Yeah. Um, a couple of previous presenters as well. <laughs> um, CNBC has learned that a potential <laughs> meeting between, or the careers of anyway, uh, between President Trump and his Chinese counterpart Xi Jinping to sign an interim trade deal could be delayed until December. A senior administration official said the US still aims to ink the so-called phase one agreement this month, but that it's not clear if the timetable is realistic. The two sides will need to agree on the terms of the deal and are said to be at odds over the location of the signing ceremony. Kayla Tausche filed the report. The White House is still working to reach a phase one deal with China by November 16th. That's the date Presidents Trump and Xi would have met at the APEC summit before host country Chile canceled the event due to unrest. A senior administration official acknowledges that deadline might not be feasible as the two sides continue negotiating the terms of the deal and a venue to sign it. If the date gets pushed out, the signing summit could move to Europe, where President Trump will be in early December. He's expected to attend the NATO leader summit in London December 3rd and 4th. Trump, for months, according to officials, has suggested Switzerland as the ultimate neutral location, even as the U.S. pushed China to sign the deal stateside. Reuters has reported Switzerland and Sweden are under discussion, but this official said those are unlikely sites, but perhaps not impossible. The firmest deadline for a deal signing is now viewed as December 15th. That's the date the tariffs on about $160 billion in consumer goods would take effect. Kayla Tausche there with that report. And I, I sort of somewhat disagree with some aspect of that report because okay. they, it's turned into this whole thing about where's it going to be signed? Where's it going to be signed? That's the issue. Why is it going to be delayed? That is not the issue. The issue is what is the agreement? Tell us what the agreement is. Yeah. If they came out and signaled to the market that we have a pretty much comprehensive phase one on all areas of disagreement, well, that's an for a start. that would be... Uh, that would be um, like giving crypto, uh, sort of not giving kryptonite, um, giving the markets jet fuel, yeah. right? But but they they don't have that information, but, but, so it's all about the moment, the location, and the timing, which I think is. But this bunk. is extraordinary. I, I 
Yes, like an echo chamber, 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 chamber. No, but 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 comprehensive phase one. You said there. Right. I don't understand what you mean by comprehensive phase one because the nature of phase one that is that it's not comprehensive. That's the whole point, isn't it? The fact is that we've got we're all fed this this this. Th- phrase that was phase one mm. because they couldn't get a comprehensive. So to get comprehensive phase one is absolutely bonkers because this is this is the foothill. This is getting to base camp. This isn't the hard mm. uh, bit when you're higher up the mountain. Right. Uh, okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll set this to one side. Uh, unfortunately, we agree too much on that. So let's find something that we can disagree about. Boris Johnson's election campaign launch got off to a rocky start following a series of controversial incidents. The event was overshadowed by a ministerial resignation as well as a blunder by senior Conservative Jacob Rees-Mogg, who was forced to apologise for suggesting the victims of the Grenfell Tower fire should have used common sense and ignored firefighters' instructions to stay in the burning building. The Prime Minister attacked his political opponents and vowed to get Brexit done. Britain's snap election and the continued uncertainty surrounding Brexit are set to cast a shadow over today's Bank of England meeting. The MPC is expected to keep rates unchanged. However, there could be a surprise vote from policymaker Michael Saunders to cut rates. In September, he said a rate cut was plausible if Brexit continues to be a, quote, slow puncture for the UK economy. Jamana is with us from outside the Bank of England. Let's get her to run us through what we can expect in the meeting. Morning, guys. Well, possibly the most exciting thing that we're going to get out of the Bank of England today is that they're revamping their inflation report. It's got a new name now. It's going to be called the Monetary Policy Report. Report. And uh, the goal there is to reduce the number of pages, uh, cut down on some of the previous sections and introduce a focus, uh, focus section called In Focus. Uh, which leans on some of the economic indicators that they have been looking at in order to come to monetary policy decisions. But as for the monetary policies and decision, uh, monetary policy decision itself, unlikely that they're going to make any major moves uh, on the interest rate front. They're in a holding pattern, not least because of the election uncertainty now. Obviously, we have the upcoming elections in December. Lots of questions about what that means for the future of Brexit and indeed what the future government is going to look like, not just from a political standpoint and what that means for Brexit, but obviously when it comes to their fiscal plans as well. Uh, So those are lots of matters that the Bank of England has to contend with. But when you look at the economic data, actually just taking it back to where things were in August, uh, the situation economically has deteriorated a little bit. If you look at the PMIs now, the composite PMI for the UK is tracking around 49. So we've dipped below that 50 level, the crucial level versus before expansionary, contractionary. Uh, So it does point to some slowdown in the uh, overall activity. But most analysts out there agree that the UK probably will avoid a technical recession at this point. When you look at the more medium term indicators, and here I'm talking about things like uh, the labour market, that continues to be a strong point in the UK economy. Wage growth is tracking around 4%. The labour market continues to be very strong. Inflation hanging in around 2%, which is the justification for why the Bank of England have kept this limited and gradual language uh, in their most recent monetary policy decisions. They have said that according, if, if there is a smooth Brexit, 
And if there is a transition, then that could lead to hikes in the future. One thing I would say to watch out for today is there have been a couple of members recently, Saunders and Vlicha, who are sounding a bit more dovish than usual and have said that even in the case where the UK avoids a, a cliff-edge Brexit, they still may see a reason to cut rates in that scenario. So you may get a couple of dovish dissenters at the meeting in a couple of hours' time. That would be the main surprise. But no one's really expecting them to cut interest rates at this point, given the amount of political uncertainty out there. And of course, that the, you've got to distinguish between the short-term economic situation and the long-term. I'll talk it back to you. All right, Jamana, thank you very much for that. Well, at the end there. Uh, very good, because you know there's a road sweeper just, just next door. Do you know, it must be yeah, the awful. cleanest square mile of property, of real estate, on the planet, because anytime you're doing an outside broadcast in the city, there's yes. always some machine going past, isn't Yes, there? no, absolutely. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.